Well, good morning. I'm Bill, and I am the campus pastor here at this campus of Spring Lake Church. And I'm really happy to be with you this morning. I've been thinking a lot lately about the world that which we live in. So many people are lonely and empty, and they're searching for meaning in their life. Right? Like, we know people around us who are really struggling, and they're looking for something. And I've been thinking about our church and how excited I am to be part of a church that is helping people begin a relationship with God and other believers while being on a mission to impact the world. I love that. I think that's so cool. That's what our mission statement to love and mature and reach is all about. And I love being part of a church that's helping people find and live the best life possible. That's so cool. And so thank you so much for being here. If you're brand new with us or you're checking us out, um, we just want to say that you are welcome here. We love that you're here with us, and we hope you enjoy your time with us. I would love to see you afterwards at the lunch with the staff. Um, But I just wanted uh, to say that uh, we have been on this um, series called God on Trial. And this is the real reason why I'm wearing the suit. Um, And we've been talking about this idea of common objections to Christianity. Things that people say, well, what about this in Christianity? Well, what about this in Christianity? Things that um, people um, maybe have problems with. And so Ryan started this thing where he wore this suit and he was the defense lawyer for God on trial. So that's why I'm wearing a suit this morning. I couldn't let Ryan show me up, okay? So you can tell Pastor Ryan next time you see him that Pastor Bill looks pretty darn good in a suit, okay? If you think that, okay. Well, anyways, we're going to talk about one of the greatest objections to Christianity today. One of the biggest things that people say, I can't believe or I struggle to believe because of this. And it's this idea of if God is good, how can there also be suffering? How can there also be suffering? So to start us off, uh, we're going to start on a more somber side of things. And I'm going to share a German phrase with you. It's the German phrase, Arbeit macht frei. Some of you might recognize that phrase. The Nazis put this little phrase on the gates leading into many of their concentration camps. It means work will set you free. Of course, we know that was a lie because millions of prisoners were never set free and instead tortured and killed. I've toured three different concentration camps in my lifetime And one concentration camp I went to was Auschwitz in Poland. And I must admit, it literally rocked my faith. It was one of the hardest days of my life. Leading up to touring this death camp, I actually read the book Night by Elie Wiesel, in which Elie describes in detail the unbelievably horrid conditions and suffering and death all around him during his time as a prisoner at Auschwitz. It was horrific to go there and to see it. And I say it rocked my faith because it forced me to consider the age-old question, which remains one of the greatest objections to Christianity, how can a good God allow evil and suffering in the world? If God is truly good, which is a truth claim of Christianity makes, then how can he stand by and allow the suffering that happens all the time? How could God allow the Holocaust Millions of people suffering and dying for no other reason than evil and hate. 
How can he allow slavery, both the slavery that was experienced in history and the slavery that is being experienced right now in the, fume, in the form of human trafficking? How can God allow children to get cancer? How can God allow families to lose loved ones due to disease and accidents? How can God allow natural disasters? We can go on and on. How can God, who is good, allow this to happen? I'll be, I'll be honest, it's, it's really difficult to try to reconcile this, especially for people who experience great suffering firsthand. But the reality remains that we live in a world of profound suffering all around us. And so if we're going to understand God as good and live in a world of great suffering, we as followers of Jesus have to find a way to approach this subject. We have to have good answers for our friends and our families and our neighbors who are wondering the very same thing we are. When it comes to God and suffering, we need to find the right perspective So today we're going to cover five key truths that we need to understand as we look at the problem of suffering. And I'm going to warn you up front, it's not going to give you all the answers. Because guess what? No matter what worldview you choose to believe in this world, no one has them. No one has every single answer to every single question. And that's why we believe in God, because he does. He does. So let's jump in and pray before we start. Lord Jesus, I am reminded of your word through, your apostle, through the Apostle Paul this morning in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 where he says, Praise be to God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. Lord, we ask you now, as we consider suffering and we try to reconcile that with you being good, that we would know the comfort that abounds in Christ. That we would have the right perspective in the right truths and that we would trust And know that you are indeed good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, the first truth that we're going to look at today as we jump in is the truth that God is not the creator of evil and suffering. This is a perspective you need as a follower of Jesus. God is not the creator of evil and suffering. Now, this point really gets at the heart of the question that plagues many, many people. Why didn't God create a world in which suffering and evil doesn't exist? Why didn't he choose to do that? And the answer to this is, he did. He actually did. If you go back to Genesis 1, you can read that God created a world in which everything was good. Genesis 1.31 says, And God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And yet, we don't live in a world that is good. And so what happened? Well, the short answer is that we happened. Humans happened. The longer answer is that God decided to create a world in which human beings would have free will. We have the ability to choose for ourselves. You see, God did not want to create people who were conscious and self-aware, but had no choice but to love him. 
like some highly sophisticated robots, okay? Anyone remember the toy Tickle Me Elmo? Right? You remember that toy? It came out. It was like super popular. It sold out that one Christmas in the 90s. And uh, you would tickle, tickle me Elmo, and he would go, okay, this is my Elmo impression. Are you ready for this? This is kind of off the wall a little bit. But he goes, <laughs> that tickles. Right? And then if you tickled him again, he would go, <laughs> I love you. Right? Now that you know that your pastor is very weird, Right? Now, let me ask you a question, though, about that, however silly that was. Uh, did Tickle Me Elmo really love you when you tickled him like that and he said, I love you? No. I hate to ruin it for you. If I'm ruining your childhood, I'm very sorry. But guess what? Elmo was programmed to say that. When you tickled him twice, Elmo was programmed to say that he loved you. And God didn't want to create programmed human beings to automatically say, I love you, God. He wanted it to be our choice. But in doing that, it opened up the possibility that one day we would make the choice not to love God, but to reject him. And that's exactly what happened in the garden. Adam and Eve end up desiring to be like God instead of just choosing to love him. They were tempted and they sinned. And so sin enters the world and along with it comes death and evil and suffering. But it's not just Adam and Eve. Lest we think it's just them, it's also us too. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have all chosen in some way, shape, or form to reject God and to put ourselves in his place. And so we bring evil and suffering in the world. As I was studying for this sermon and reading and researching, I came across one of the most fascinating statistics that I've ever seen in my entire life. And it's this. It has been estimated that nearly 95% of sufferings that humans experience is caused directly or indirectly by other human beings. This means that when we consider suffering in this world, the vast majority of the responsibility rests on our shoulders. It's not God, it's humanity. In fact, even if you consider the other 5% of suffering, like earthquakes or tornadoes or hurricanes, those are the result of a broken creation that came from sin. Genesis 3.18 says, It's because of sin that nature was corrupted, and thorns and thistles entered the world. Romans 8.22 says, For we know that up to the present time, all of creation groans with pains like the pain of childbirth. And so nature itself longs for redemption, to come, and, to come and for things to be set right. And it's our sin that is the source of disorder and chaos. In other words, let me be really clear. The world in which we live in is not the way it's supposed to be. If you live long enough and you experience suffering, you can feel this and you know that this is true. Something is not right. Something's off. Something's wrong with this world. The good world that God created and he intended it to be good has been corrupted and we are responsible. It's not God. God did not create suffering and death. We did. Now, just because I want to cover my bases, let me throw out a couple objections to this line of thinking. And uh, some very clever people will ask things like this. Well, since God created humans with free will... Didn't he at very least create the potential for sin and evil? 
To which the answer is yes. But God, in his goodness, still chose the very best scenario. Let me explain what I mean. God is good, okay? And so he always acts in his goodness. And so he chose the greatest good. He chose to create a world in which human beings have the ability to choose him and thus also had the ability to reject him. This must have been better than a scenario in which God would not choose to create us at all, right? Because he could have chosen that as well. And so he chose something better in that case. Or a scenario in which God chose to create us, but we're all like Tickle Me Elmo, and we don't really get to choose to love him, but instead we're forced to, which isn't actually love, and it isn't actually free will. God did not want to create a world like that because it wasn't the best good. God chose the best good even though it ended up with humanity rejecting him and introducing suffering into this world. The other objection to this is, well, if God is all-knowing and he knew that we would reject him and he created us anyway, isn't God like an accomplice to sin and suffering? To which the answer is, yes, God is all-knowing and he knew that we would reject him, but you know what God also knew? He knew that one day he would send his son. And he knew that one day millions of people throughout history would choose to love him through Jesus and spend an eternity with him. He knew all the bad and all the good that, must, that would have come out. And he must have thought that is better than not creating anything at all. Or like I said before, creating a universe in which humanity doesn't have the ability to choose. The bottom line, though, is that God did not create evil and suffering. Unfortunately for us, it's a human invention. And that brings us to our second truth. Truth number two, though suffering isn't good, God can and does use it to accomplish good. Okay? You know, I am constantly in awe of God's character because the God of the Bible is not a God who is just content to let humans beings suffer in hopelessness for no reason. Our God is a God of redemption and reconciliation. And so that means when suffering happens, he wants to use the circumstance in many ways to accomplish good things. Let me share a few ways that God uses suffering for good. One way would be that God uses suffering to draw people to himself. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. A godly sorrow is a sorrow that leads people to surrendering their lives to Jesus. And as a pastor, I get to see this type of sorrow a lot, and I'm thankful for it, and I actually pray for it. You see, the reality is that I know Jesus is the answer to life in the universe. It is in Jesus that we can find the fullest and most abundant life possible, both right now and into eternity. And there are times where people are just not going to realize that until they hit rock bottom. There is something about suffering that causes you to ask bigger questions. It causes you to examine the life that you're living and to think beyond the here and now. 
Things like funerals and job losses and unexpected tragedies or getting so far down a path of sin that you are broken and hurting and you're at the bottom. Or just getting to the end of the rope in any area of your life. God would agree that these things are not good and he doesn't want people to experience them. But guess what? God wants to use that to draw people to himself. When you hit these times in your life, you are primed to start looking for something bigger than yourself. Even the atheist prays when the plane is going down. And guess what? There's truly good news in those times. There's good news in the midst of the deepest suffering because Jesus really is the answer. He is the way and the truth and the life A life that is eternal and enduring. A life that extends beyond this meek existence that we're in right now. God uses suffering to accomplish good by drawing people to himself. Another way God uses suffering for good is by using it to help believers grow in their faith. Romans 5.3 is an outrageous verse if you read it while you're suffering. We also rejoice in our sufferings. We have joy in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance, character, and character, hope. You know, I've been working pretty hard lately to be healthy. And uh, I've learned a lot of things about how the body works. And one of the things that I learned about is how the body gets stronger. And it's a really interesting uh, kind of science. In order for your muscles to get stronger, there has to be some sort of stimulus that you introduce to your body to tell your muscles that it's time to grow. Now, I really wish, I really, really wish that the stimulus could be sitting on the couch watching TV and eating little Debbie snack cakes. But that is not the case, right? We all know that that does not work. In fact, I tried it. It really doesn't work, okay? Okay. The stimulus that tells your muscles to grow is what I call uncomfortable resistance. It's when you tax your, tax your muscles to fatigue. So when you lift heavy things or when you put a lot of demand on your muscles, when you do that, you're actually, the science behind it is that you're creating little tiny micro tears in your muscle fiber. And those little tears tell your body that it's time to get stronger in order to meet the demand that you're placing on it. And the same is true for followers of Jesus. In order for our faith to get stronger and to grow, there must be times where we are a little bit torn, where we're stretched, where we're taxed to exercise our faith. We must have times and situations where it actually matters to have our faith and our trust in Jesus. Suffering is an environment that helps us trust Jesus in a way we never have before. When we suffer, we learn to persevere because we know that God is faithful. When we persevere over time, that builds into character, a character of a godly person who trusts God even when they are suffering. And as we live out that character over time, we're a person who has real hope. God uses suffering for good by using it to help believers grow in their faith. Well, there's many more ways, but there's at least one more way God uses suffering for good. He often uses suffering to accomplish great things through us in this world. 
Now, there's lots of examples of this, but a supreme example of this is Joseph in the Bible. After being sold into slavery by his own family, by his own brothers, Joseph eventually rises to become the second in command in all of Egypt. And it's under that leadership that, he, that the world is spared from a great famine. In fact, in Genesis 50, 20, Joseph says to his brothers, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And so some of you here this morning have experienced a lot of suffering in your life. Some of you are suffering right now. And there's no doubt that that's incredibly difficult. And that it doesn't feel good. And so I'm not minimizing it in any way. But what if? What if God wants to use it to accomplish great things through you? What if what you're suffering with right now, on the other side of it, God wants you to use that very suffering to help other people who are going to go through what you're going through right now? What if he wants to use the things in our life that causes so much pain for good? God intends to accomplish something with suffering often. God intends to use you in even your suffering to save people. You see, our God is not a God who is content to let human hopelessness and suffering just happen. He is a God who wants to take the suffering that is present because of sin and evil in this world and to use it to accomplish the greatest good. That's the character of our God. And I bet you there are thousands of stories of people, thousands of stories in this group of people this morning who could tell you how God has used pain and struggle in their life to help others get through the same thing. Let's take a look at the next key truth about suffering. Number three, the day is coming when suffering will stop and evil will be judged. You know, one of people's greatest frustrations with this idea of God and suffering is that they look around the world and they see evil and suffering and they wonder why God is not stepping in and why he's not returning. Why doesn't Jesus come back right now? Why doesn't God just bring all of this horrible stuff to a close and stop all of it? Well, honestly, this is where we don't know all the answers why. We don't know all the answers why God allows these things to happen or continues to happen, but we do know one really compelling reason why. In 2 Peter 3.9, it says that the Lord is, is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. There's actually coming a day when Jesus himself will return and he will judge evil. He will right the wrongs and he will rule this world with truth and justice. But he hasn't done it yet because he loves those who are still lost. There are people on this earth right now who are caught up in evil. They're rejecting God and they're causing suffering. But one day, the hope is that they will trust Jesus. You know, in my life, I am so thankful for God's patience. Imagine, imagine I didn't get a chance to get to know God because he came back before I could decide. And yet he was patient with me. 
And he's been patient with you because he wants to see you come to repentance. So rest assured that God is not slow in keeping his promise, but he's being patient. And one day there will come a time when God will stop the suffering and he will stop the evil. And I, for one, am grateful that God is patient, but he's also going to right the wrongs. He's also going to bring justice to this world. And that brings us to our fourth key truth about suffering. Our suffering is nothing compared to what God has in store for his followers. You know, God, he gives us so much. He promises us, us heaven. And, and, and it's like this um, story that I, I've been thinking about lately. Imagine on the first day of 2018, you wake up and you have the worst day of your life. You fight with your spouse, right? You have the worst day, you fight with your spouse. Your best friend betrays you. You stub your toe twice, right? You get a flat tire. It's the worst day of your life. But imagine that all the rest of the days of, your, of, that, of 2018 were amazing. Imagine that you um, wake up one morning and your boss calls and says, I want to offer you a new job, and you're going to be making twice as much as you were before, and, you, and this is the job that you've wanted forever. Imagine that your best friend, uh, the one that didn't betray you, your new best friend, uh, wins $25 million and says, you know what, I just feel really compelled to give you half. And you have half of the money now. Imagine uh, you have, you, your, your family gives birth to your first child, and it's a beautiful, healthy baby boy, and everything's going great. And every day of 2018 is just so amazing, and you love it. You love every minute of it. Now, imagine on January 1st, New Year's Day, 2019. Imagine that a friend comes to you and says, how was your 2018? What would you say to him? Would you say, oh man, it was the worst thing ever. You wouldn't believe how it started a year ago on this day. It was just awful. No, you would say, it was amazing. I love my 2018. I had the best year ever. It was the best year of my life. And if your friend said to you, but what about that first day? What about that first day? What about the day where it was so hard that you struggled and there was pain and there was suffering in that day? You would say, you know what? You're right. That was a hard day, the worst day of my life. But you know what? The other days of the year made it seem like that day didn't even exist. And it's the same for us in heaven. When we've been in heaven for 35 million years and we're enjoying the, the fellowship of the people around us. We're enjoying the work that God has for us in heaven for him to do. When we're enjoying praising and worshiping him, when we're experiencing all the blessing for 35 million years in eternity with God, we're going to look back on this time on earth and we're going to say it was hard. But guess what? It is nothing in comparison with the glory that has been revealed in me and through me because of Jesus and spending an eternity in heaven with God. And that's a proper way to understand it. It feels so long when you're suffering in this life. It feels like this life is so difficult, right? And when you're in the midst of suffering, you just say, when will it end, God? When will it end, God? And and that's how we feel. But guess what? 
We are like a little blip. Our life is here and then it's gone. The Bible describes it as a mist. It's here and it, it vanishes. I was in Rhinelander this last weekend, or this last week, and uh, on, in the morning we woke up and we were going to go fishing, and there's a big mist all over the whole lake. We couldn't even see across from it. And it was cold, and so we're like, we're not going to go. But you know what? The sun rose, and as soon as that sun rose, guess what happened to that mist? It was gone. And that's our lives. But we have a whole eternity ahead of us to enjoy Jesus and, and who he is and the people around us who are also praising him. The suffering we have now is nothing compared to with what God has in store for his followers. And that brings us to our fifth point. It's our decision how we will respond to the reality that God is good and yet suffering exists. Remember in the beginning of this message, I talked about how God decided to create a world in which people had a free will to decide. Well, experiencing suffering forces us to make a choice regarding two. You see, God kept our free will intact. And we have a choice. When it comes to suffering, what are we going to do? We can either respond in bitter anger and frustration with God, and we could run from him, which is a very common response. We all know people who are bitter towards God because of the suffering they've experienced in their life. Or we can find and cling to God and find everlasting life and peace in him. John 16, 33, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace, and in the world you will have great trouble. But take courage I have overcome the world. You see, in one statement, Jesus offers us two things we really need when we're hurting and when we're suffering. First, he offers us peace in him and with him, a real peace. And second, he offers us courage because he has overcome the world. You see, one of the most natural responses from people who are suffering is to stop And to scream at the sky and say, why God? I want an explanation for my suffering. I want to know why. I want to know why I'm going through this. But the question, the answer to that question really is not going to make your suffering any better. You ever thought about that? If you knew why you were going through suffering, would you feel better about the suffering? I don't think you would. No answer is going to comfort those who have experienced the loss of a loved one. No, no answer is going, to, is going to actually help those who are struggling with cancer. No answer is going to really help us with the tragedy of life. So God doesn't give us what we think we need. He doesn't give us a pat answer, and I'm thankful that he doesn't. Instead, he gives us what he actually needs, what we actually need. And you know what we need? We need Jesus. We actually need him in the suffering. He gave us himself. He gave us Jesus. So God doesn't give us what we think we need. He gives us himself. And you see, God is not just some distant, detached deity in the sky who created humanity and then left us to our own destruction. He loves us. He loves us so much that even while we are rejecting him, he sends his very own son to suffer on our behalf. Jesus, God himself, experienced rejection 
like you would never believe. Torture and even death on our behalf so that we could have an eternal and everlasting hope in him. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted and tried in every way, just as we are, and yet he didn't sin. Now, of course, this is talking about temptation, but it also conveys the truth that Jesus knows exactly what it means to struggle as we struggle. He knows what it means to suffer. He knows what it means to be brokenhearted. God is not content with leaving the world broken as it is. And so he sent his son Jesus. And he offers us peace and courage in Jesus, knowing that if we follow him, that one day we will rejoice with him for all eternity. And in the meantime, God is always wanting to use human suffering to accomplish the good that he originally intended for mankind. That's what he's working towards. The world is not as it should be, but it's our reality. And so we all have a choice on how we will respond to suffering. We can reject God, and we can run from him, or we can run to Jesus, who is the only permanent source of life and peace and courage. Jesus is ultimately the one who finally defeats sin and death and suffering on his return. Jesus is the hope we're waiting for. When suffering strikes your life, purposely choose to run towards God. He's waiting for you. He wants to wrap you in his arms. He wants to give you his peace. He wants to help you endure to the end. He wants to give you the promise of an eternity where you'll look back one day, 35 million years from now, and you'll say, it was rough. But I am so thankful for all the blessings and all this existence that God allowed me to have because I'm here and now with my Savior, Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, it is so tough to be in this life right now and to try to keep that eternal perspective. To try to look past what's happening here and now, to, to not see all the suffering and the pain that's being experienced all around us that we have to experience. It's so easy for us to get fixated on the, the horrors of this life, on the evils of this life. And so, Lord, we just ask you right now, would you help us to move past, to look beyond to understand that we have the promise of eternity with you? Would you help us to have hope in Jesus? Would you help us to be people who live for eternity and not just the here and now? And more than that, God, it's not just about us. Would you help us to be people who share the hope of Jesus to a world that is suffering and broken and in desperate need of you? Would you help us to be lights of the gospel? Would you help us to show that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life and the life that you can have right now, the fullest life that you can have is in you. Would you help us to be those people? We ask in Jesus' name, amen.